Welcome back, everybody. I'm very excited to be here with Marie Flamand, the CEO of Near Foundation, one of the most hardworking and respected CEOs in Web3. Marie, thank you so much for joining us. How are you doing today? Well, thank you, Anthony, for having me here. Um, yeah, doing well. Definitely, it's been it's been quite a year. I can't believe we're almost at the end of 2022, which feels like it's been 10 years. But yeah, very good. It's been a big year, some good, some bad, a lot of hard work, a lot of code cut, a lot of progress, a lot of ecosystems that have grown significantly, not least of which yours. Before we get started, for those of you who haven't met you before, who, who don't know your story and background, could you give us a couple of minutes on kind of your recent experience in Web3, maybe even pre-Near, and then a little bit about what is Near Foundation and what have you guys been doing? Yeah, absolutely. So look, um, I fell into crypto towards the end of 2015. Uh, at the time, I was working for Expedia, uh, and I was actually uh, uh, asked if I could join Circle, which at the time was still, you know, a small a small startup. Um, in hindsight, probably one of the you know one of the turning points, deciding point of my career because I, I jumped uh, into crypto. I, at the time, I hadn't heard about neither blockchain or or any of that. Um, I was at Circle for almost uh, four years uh, in a different uh, different role. So first as managing director for Europe, Middle East, and Africa, and basically looking at how we could expand what we had, uh, and then also as their uh, chief marketing officer. Um, I then left in early 2019 and changed gear and tack quite a bit. I worked for a bank. Um, some of you who might be in the UK actually might know that bank. Uh, it's NatWest. Uh, and at NatWest, I was actually leading uh, their neobank, Metal. So totally different experience, but actually also extremely insightful and helpful because metal is for actually the creator economy and the sole traders um, and how do you actually innovate within within a larger a larger corporate and then um, towards the end of 2021 actually um, the near team reached out and I hadn't heard of near but when I started looking again at the crypto space and blockchain I thought near was fascinating because the tech was actually doing the promises of what what we had been talking a lot about you know web3 and tokenizing everything and and so on and so forth and I felt completely in love with actually the technology, the team and the ecosystem, uh, the near ecosystem. I'm sure we'll talk more about it, but already at the time was extremely diverse and inclusive, uh, was made of builders and people who really want to build and believe in the technology and believe in what it can do to actually uh, change potentially, you know, how we do things. And, and also, let's be grand, change, change, uh, change the world. Um, so I joined near uh, foundation as the CEO. Um, almost exactly a year ago in uh, January 2022. <laughs> it feels like 10 years ago, <laughs> but, um, but January 2022, it's been an absolutely uh, fascinating and phenomenal experience. And so uh, near and to close on that, but near, near is a layer one protocol. And around it, we have a whole ecosystem of infrastructure play that are built around the near protocol, but also ecosystem dApps and projects that go from actually DeFi, entertainment, NFT, DAOs, anything you can imagine. Um, and the role of the foundation is basically threefold. One is actually to help raise awareness of what is near, what is Web3, and what can be done on that. 
Uh, the second part is actually to help support the growth of the ecosystem. So what are you know, the tools, what are in a way the roads that need to be built for the ecosystem to function, uh, the content, the material that is needed for that to work. And the third point is actually uh, enabling and empowering the decentralization of the ecosystems through governance and thinking also through regulation, which are also very uh, topical uh, things of the moment. Um, so yeah, that's in a nutshell. Brilliant intro, Marie. Thank you so much. And so you've you've had a toe in crypto, in TradFi, in fintech, and now in Web3 and kind of layer one protocol building. And part of why I wanted to have this conversation with you is I think we don't hear enough from objective voices at the center in leadership roles in Web3. We hear from a few eccentric founders. We hear from excited, agitating startups, and we've got no shortage of kind of trolls out there as well who have, have kind of very loud voices. But at the center of actually building and establishing ecosystems, this is where I find some of the most interesting work happens. And so my, my first question to you is for those people who don't see what you do on a regular basis, the immense amount of work that you and your teams do on very long hours, on very long <laughs> days and weekends, what does it actually take to build and scale a layer one ecosystem? A couple of things actually that, you know, making a parallel for when you come from more, let's say, traditional Web2 uh, Web world. Um, one is actually building a decentralized ecosystem is something that is very different, right? So actually, how do you empower and put yourself at the service of what others need, right? Which in particular for the team that, that is at the foundation, there is this very much this attitude of servant leadership, right? We work for others. We do what others need. And we actually try to figure out what is it, which is a very hard role because it's almost never enough. Never, right? There's almost always someone somewhere that doesn't have enough support or would want more, whether it's actually marketing support or funding support or whatever, right? So that is in itself a very uh, difficult thing. The second part that is difficult is contrary to, you know, normal traditional corporate in which you would have, for example, like a vision from the top. And then, you know, you have like, you know, some sort of structure to say like, please follow the direction of the vision. Here, the reality is that at the core and heart of it, uh, a layer one protocol like Nier is open source anyone anywhere can build whatever they want on it and you don't really have a say in it right and so that is actually a shift and a, and a paradox in um, in that and so when you think of the role we we play in particular as a foundation which is also like our role is to also become obsolete right over time how can we actually not exist because while we are um you know, we can be a first pebble to actually get help the, to the machine to start over time the intention is not to actually like you would have in a corporate to be the biggest and, and, and uh, bigger you can be, but it's actually to be the smaller and the smaller you can be, which also takes a mindset shift, right? Back to this like, idea of like, serving others and how do you do that in, in, the, best, uh, in the best possible way. Um, so when we look at, you know, how to create a strong ecosystem, the way, the way I often think about it is one for an ecosystem to function, it needs to be connected, right? And so the parallel with that would be if you build a city, the city needs to have roads and the city needs to have schools and the city needs to have hospitals. Like the basic of like, what are the fundamentals that are needed? And so that's where the foundation can actually help with that. Like, okay, do we have the roads and do we have the schools and do we have actually those fundamentals? Are we connected to other ecosystem? Because in, in crypto and blockchain, if you're just on your little island, you're not going to go really far, right? We're in a multi-chain environment. And so you actually need to have to have that adoption. The second part is also thinking through, okay, what is the, the knowledge that is needed, right? So what are the, the sources 
of either information or sometimes it can also be access to funding. Because the reality is that to build in particular in Web3, often you might need either like knowledge of how to do it, or you might need actually access to resources. So part of our job is also making that connection and making sure that people can actually connect and, um, and have what is, uh, what is needed, right? So I would say those are first ideas of what it takes to actually build and scale a, a protocol from a foundation perspective. That's a really strong start, and, and I, I like the way you describe it. It's, it's servant leadership on a massive scale, right? It's not, it's not, you know, I'm a servant leader, and I have ten direct reports, and you know, I'm responsible for elevating their careers. It's, you know, we are servant leaders as an organization for an entire ecosystem that will eventually make us obsolete. We are, we are basically creating and training an ecosystem that should be perpetual, persistent, and and as Web two people coming into Web three, or as corporate people stepping into Web three. The weird transition is you are not there to dictate. You are not there necessarily to set strategy. There are some areas and there's constant tension where you can identify that there are needs or primitives or composable features that the ecosystem doesn't have today and that might not be commercially viable to build. You know, a, a startup's not going to spin up to create that. So there are areas where you might have to agitate or offer grants or offer, you know, some like you said, that first first movement to get things rolling after which you then unblock that part of the ecosystem and then you've got to make your way across to the other blocks which is which is super super interesting with that in mind marie again a big part of what i think is really unique to near is you you set some very ambitious targets a year ago um listening into nearcon to to 10x a number of different areas in the ecosystem to set a number of different areas of priority what have been some of your highlights over the last 12 months or yeah, nearly your year as ceo in terms of what you've been able to achieve despite relatively difficult conditions? Well, yeah, and I, and I think when, um, it's really interesting because now we're obviously looking back at, you know, a year ago and, and how have we grown. And when I look actually at the number and the track we have on those, it's quite phenomenal. So for example, one metric we track is a number of active wallets because actually an active wallet is an entry point into an ecosystem. And so on that front, you know, we grew from, below 100k active wallets to over 22 million active wallets that's huge right to any point and 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 that's in very big part thanks to a key strategic partnership that we've done with um, sweatcoin and sweat is an app that is actually a web2 app you basically move and you get sweat points and the idea was almost primed for becoming blockchain but was not yet on blockchain and we've been working with the sweat team to actually help bring that over and to me that is actually such a a beautiful example because it's like how do you bring a web two a web two company onto web three which is not that easy because there is actually a lot of different things to think about but also like how is the near technology able to do that so for example at nearcon when uh, when the, the when sweat went officially live that was the largest airdrop in history and and all that went throughout without a glitch right that's really important now of course we have much more work to do to make sure that the the sweat users for example are more connected to the rest of the but this is like it's such a, a key pillar and movement um, the other part I would say uh, is also like the number of active developers that we see continuously grow. Of course, like in the recent like weeks and months, it's been it's been a slightly different trend. But overall, again, if we take like a lens of a 
from a year ago to now, like the growth is spectacular. Same for like the number of projects. I, I can't even remember what it was a year ago, but now we are close to a thousand projects. And so like it, it was, you know, it, it, and so things like that are just like the sheer growth in a year is absolutely phenomenal. And also the I see more and more very concrete you know, use cases, which is what I'm passionate about. And, and when I see that, I think it's also what near technology enables is like things that don't need, you know, you don't need to be a master in like cryptographic keys and, and like having to do uh, magic tricks over three different um, things to be able to do something, uh, to do something. So I think that is actually probably the biggest achievement. And, and the last thing I would say, uh, because you mentioned Nearcon, but I think Nearcon was such a turning point for us as an ecosystem. Uh, there is, it's our flagship conference. Um, and actually, I was at Nearcon uh, a year ago incognito, <laughs> trying to say, like, because you get a real sense for an ecosystem when you are actually in real life, right? Because otherwise, everything is online. They're like, who are these people? What's going on? And I remember a year ago when I, when I went, it was uh, a little bit less than 600 people, but it has this like diversity and inclusion at core. And you could see that you could speak with anyone and people would answer. And there was like, you know, this genuine want to share, like uh, to share information and knowledge and, and just this general passion. And this year it was close to 3000 people, 176 countries represented and 38% of women. And I think those stats are just, you know, they speak for themselves, but also the vibe you had at that moment was a real important moment for, for the ecosystem. So, yeah, I, I fully haven't digested the whole year, <laughs> but it's been indeed quite, a, quite an impressive year for the near ecosystem. It has been a huge amount of progress in a very short period of time, which can show you if you have the right mix of technology, people, mission, objectives, metrics, what can be achieved. Now, the last 12 months have been a little bit of a roller coaster, shall we say, at the broader Web3 environment. And within that, you know, we, we include centralized finance, we include decentralized finance, we include exchanges, protocols, layer twos, builders, support systems, all, all of that, right? And I think a lot of people lose sight of the number of different facets that exist in Web3. But I, I would be remiss if I were not to ask you about the, the controversial events of Web3 in general in 2022. So when we've seen the likes of Luna struggle, Three Arrows Capital, and more recently FTX, what have been the learnings for, for you personally and for Nier as a protocol? And what are the imperatives that give us to help continue growth of Nier and Web3 for 2023? I actually think that uh, having very strong convictions and actually always going back to that is really important. And for example, at, at NIR, our conviction is about, it's ultimately about active engaged users. And so one thing, for example, the industry was extremely focused on, you know, more TVL or price of things and, and metrics that might indicate something. But if you, if you think, you know, if you think technology, then it might not necessarily make full sense of like, why are we focusing on that? So I think actually the examples that we've unfortunately seen on that and therefore the consequences they've had, the first thing that it, it reminds us all the time is actually ultimately building real use cases that deliver on the promises of Web3 is paramount and is the first and, and thing like why we are all here and why we should want to be here. So this is not about hype. This is really about actually user engagement and therefore the, the, having the right metrics, as you say, is extremely, extremely important. The other thing I would say is um, it's also a reminder of why we do what we do. Because in the example that you mentioned, unfortunately, very often 
it's not it's not the the ethos of web3 that fails it's not the decentralization that fails it's not the fact that things are transparent and available on chain that fails it's actually humans it's you know we're back to things that we have actually seen in uh, in more traditional finance or in more traditional world and therefore that's exactly everything that you know um, we stand against as technologists of saying like well there should be a better way to to do things right so all those events are unfortunately not helpful for the entire industry because um, we will all pay the price for actually you know the reputation damage is going to be done holistically and, and you can very often see that and i'm sure for people who are in the space um you know, getting the call from the parents of like, you know, are you okay? What's going on? Like, you know, everybody's bundled up into into the same thing, which is uh, which is extremely hurtful. The other part is actually also thinking through, well, what are going to be the consequences uh, from a regulatory perspective on that? And the reality is that uh, we were making collectively, you know, good progress with regulators on, you know, pass forward. If you look, for example, at, at Mika in Europe, and if you look at, at you know, some of the the work that had been happening also in the US and across the globe. And so my hope is that, you know, we don't lose that. Um, my hope is also that we look at the fundamentals of what is really intended um, and that we also uh, focus on the right metrics because ultimately, you know, more than ever, Web3 is needed. And when you look at what's happening on certain uh, Web2 platform or social media platform, this is exactly why Web3 should exist. It's not to be at the mercy of like, you know, one person or very few people and to actually have the ownership of, of what we do. So more than ever, we do need Web3. The reality is that Web3 needs to deliver and hasn't delivered yet. And so focusing on those real use cases and focusing on making that really happen through strong technology, strong teams, having the right KPI, having actually uh, the, right, the right ethics as we behave through that, I think is extremely important. Without trying, you've hit on two key words there. Well, three behavior, technology, and ethics that um, that I posted out on about an hour and a half ago. In all that we've seen in the last twenty four months or twelve months, more specifically, we haven't seen a significant failure in technology at a layer one level. We've seen some challenges around bridges. We've seen failure of ethics, failure of reporting, failure of oversight around exchanges, which are essentially you know, bridges between Web three and Web two, or Web three and the traditional finance system. Tom Emma came out, to, uh, I think it was yesterday or last night, on part of the prosecution on FTX and said, this was not a failure of the technology. We, we, we need decentralized technology and we're grateful that actually the transparency around cryptocurrencies layer ones has enabled us to do all of the audit trail of, of what's happened in record time, which actually for transparency, for authenticity, for quality is hugely powerful. The fact is, though, that there are certain parties or certain um, entities within Web3 which are necessary, but where the ethics or the oversight isn't correctly managed, you know, we're trusting in brands uh, as opposed to being able to trust in code, which makes things a lot harder. So thank you for the unintended segue. I would be remiss if I weren't able to talk about enterprise as part of this. I know a number of the partnerships that Near and Near Foundation have forged over the last 12 months or so have been with some pretty significant enterprises in this space, not just necessarily enterprises building on near, but also the infrastructure that surrounds Web3. How do you see the role that enterprise is going to play in getting us to scaling Web3? Yeah, so a couple of thoughts on that. Actually, one, if Web3 keeps being in the, you know, for, you know, crypto native users and so on, the reality is that the pool is very small. 
So that's not going to achieve like mainstream adoption like uh, at all. So onboarding Web 2 to Web 3 is very important, right? And so how do you do that at scale? Very often is like through enterprises who have like already millions of users and, and, and who can be onboarded to Web 3. Now, not every use case is fit for being Web3, right? Because I think also when, when projects come and they say, we want to do something on Web3, I'm like, why? You know, what, what is it going to do that's different? And actually, what does it do for, for you users that needs Web3? And there's a wealth of different areas where it actually matters. For example, we see a lot in, in sports and entertainment and, and quite a lot on that. So the first point is actually that the fact that to get to mainstream adoption, the reality is that it's going to be a shift from Web2 to Web3 that happens. The thing we see is, and it's really interesting because it reminds me, um, you know, the chief digital officer or like when, when businesses were not online and were like, oh, do we have, do we have to go online? And I actually, I started my career in the luxury goods industry for LVMH. And I remember at the time I was working in Asia Pacific and, and it was still the beginning of e-commerce, but there was a lot of debate and, and actually a lot of people were saying, oh, nobody will buy luxury goods on, you know, online. Like that's never going to happen. <laughs> fast forward, I won't say how many years, but fast forward the number of years and guess what's happening? Actually, it's happening, right? And so I, I think, and at that time, the shift we've seen is also like every large uh, retailer has been thinking through how to digitize. Every bank has been thinking through that. That was, for example, my last experience, like how to innovate, how to digitize. And there's different models that enterprise do to do that. Sometimes they have a chief digital officer. Sometimes they have a chief innovation officer. And you start small. And then before you know it, actually, it overtakes the whole thing. Now, we're starting to see exactly the same thing uh, with Web3. And what's been uh, very interesting to see is that uh, no matter what bumps happen, it's almost as if as technology, we've already made a step that the technology is here, it's not going to go away. And therefore, there is a very strong appetite for a lot of very large enterprises to say, okay, how do I adapt my business going forward? And what, I, what is it that I'm going to make uh, doing with that? Um, for NIR in particular, in particular because of the strengths of our technology, where we see mass appeal is everything that's related to sports, entertainment, and loyalty. And those are like cases that are almost prone to be disrupted by, by Web3. If you think of like, you know, being a fan of a team, then you could say, oh, that looks like actually a membership club. And therefore, like, what if it's actually an NFT that you can actually really own and you can put more into? So there is definitely all those use cases that are starting to happen there uh, that are very uh, interesting. So. Yes, you know, enterprises are going to play a very big role. And I, I haven't even touched on, for example, um, you know, financial institutions and how the role that those institutions can play, which is also huge. But definitely enterprises are going to play a very big role because it's the path to get to mainstream. And honestly, the traction we see on that front and the work we are asked to do and to help with uh, is just growing and growing, which is, I think, a very good indication. And I think the mental model for whomever is in the, Web2 world that, you know, whatever you were and it looked like chief digital, chief innovation officer, I think we're replicating similar organizational model on that front. That's nice to see. We, we are starting to see the chief metaverse officer creeping yes. in as a title, which, which, which it does amuse me because that, that feels like an even more intangible domain than Web3 at this point in time. But at least it's nice to see deliberate focus or deliberate intent towards a different paradigm or a different way of delivering the technology. I genuinely think that there is a significant tension between corporate objectives, corporate management and decentralization and decentralized community engagement and creating shared economies, shared incentive models. 
And I like that you called out sports and sports fans specifically as a collective, because that's where digital assets, collective incentives, co-creation, which is at the heart of kind of Web3 principles and where the technology works really well, plays out very, very nicely. Also, a lot of the, or much of the content or the assets there can be digital or are natively digital. Whereas the more you have to start creating tokenization of physical assets, the more complexity you have around it. You know, everybody's really excited about the concept of sustainability around the concept of carbon credits or being able to crowdfund sustainability projects. But we can, we can solve for double spending in terms of one token, but how do we solve for the double spending in the real world? or the validation that projects actually exist. And it's not as easy to digitize and create those communities, particularly in the Web3 sense, in my experience, than it is in, in other areas. And the examples that you yeah, picked it up might be, But I have, to, I have to jump here because we have a project called uh, Open Forest Protocol, which actually tackles exactly that. And I think you're Ooh. right. Yeah, it's, but you're, it's like um, enabling the tracking of reforestation. And, and it's exactly what you say. How do you check like these projects really exist? Because there is indeed like value in having tokenized carbon credit, but then like, what do you make? And I, so my point is we're starting to see some of this project emerge, which I think also could be a very big win. Um, it's harder, as you've mentioned, but yeah, we're so starting to see that. <laughs> well, I'm, and I'm glad to hear, it. I mean, shout out to Open Forest Protocol and, and for anybody who's, who is trying to do the work in making or, or trying to reduce as much friction as possible between that kind of digital or physical to digital digital asset conversion because being able to have appropriate science behind carbon sinks or being able to appropriately attribute the benefit of reforestation it doesn't happen the second you plant a seed it happens at the point where you have tree and so there's there's complexity in all of that and you know it's as much of the metrics that we are applying to the corporates who are looking for these credits as they are to the technologists who are trying to build low friction easy to integrate experiences but it's great to hear that it's on the radar. It is. I wonder, <laughs> I wonder, are there other particular verticals that, that you see might drive that kind of next billion users? I mean, we've, we haven't talked about central bank digital currency or the way that governments are specifically looking at blockchain technology and digital assets. There are a bunch of other verticals we haven't covered. Are there any of particular focus for you and Nia that you haven't mentioned so far? Well, I think I've, I've mentioned, you know, sports entertainment, because uh, it's definitely one, if you think also of, you know, history, web one, web two, and, and how adoption has happened, uh, very often that's where it started. And so here, no surprise, we're seeing the same, the same path of adoption for web three. I think the point you're mentioning also on, uh, on governments and central bank is definitely very interesting. So at the, at the core and the heart of a lot of the philosophy of crypto, and Web3 is also like, you know, peer-to-peer -peer movement of value. And therefore, what's the value that we think immediately most of is actually money. And so peer-to-peer -peer movement of money that touches, you know, what is what are stable coins, what is, uh, what is the digital currency that we have in our hands, and therefore, what can the technology do, um, do on that front? Um, I think we will probably continue to see more innovation in DeFi, especially given what we've seen recently happen and the, and the strengths and the resilience of what, uh, of what DeFi has shown. Uh, so I think we can expect more on that front. I think for um, you know, things that touch stablecoin or CBDC, while regulators across the world have made a ton of progress in like, their understanding and their you know, therefore, uh, ability to, to grasp what it means for, for society and for the rest of the world, I think we're still 
couple of years away from seeing like a true CBDC completely embraced and on chain by, by any nation. There are quite a lot of different projects and, and you know, pilots that are happening in lots of different places. Uh, but it's, it's going to be interesting to continue seeing that. So I don't know, you know, what party will play into mass adoption and helping the speed. I'm more hopeful on, again, sports entertainment, because I think that's where the immediate use case and the transformation of that. Anytime you, you think of like ownership of IP and ownership of IP can be like, you know, a sports person that he or her, the, the sports people are IP themselves. Right. And so like, there is a value there in like shifting that rather than having to go through the traditional model as we know it. So the use case is so flagrant that I think then it becomes almost like the first adoption for that. Um, but yeah, definitely, I think DeFi uh, will will also help be an enabler for for adoption on that front. Awesome, thank you so much for that. So keep keep an eye out for sports and entertainment. I believe back in the day you were something of a sports person yourself. Am I correct? <laughs> Still. Uh, Still, yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, no, I, sports. Is, um, I love sports in general. I think it's a, it's a, it's a beautiful thing. But I, I uh, used to play basketball, and uh, yeah, so that's where my passion is. And, and I'm, I may have looked that up. And so, as a result, when you see the the first, the first kind of sports-related digital assets coming out as an NBA-related and basketball-related, did that give you? some early inspiration were you inspired when you saw that or, or did that feel a bit weird at the time no 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 i was very inspired because i thought oh wow look at that like you know again musicians artists sports people are very often also innovators and they, they come at things and they use technology in a different way and and so i was extremely excited by that i think it's also when you know you remember the the times of like collecting cards of players or things like that or, oh yeah imagine if you could do that not with paper but in but in a different way so any case that actually brings it to real world adoption i'm actually extremely excited about uh, and anything that has a twist of you know Again, entertainment in a different way, I think, is also extremely interesting. So, yeah, I think um, definitely exciting to see. Even my the one of the local basketball club where I played when I was younger, um, which is in France, actually also started thinking through what does it mean to be owned by fans? And I was like, oh, my God, look at that. <laughs> it's happening in other different places. And so I think that's uh, that's extremely exciting. Yeah. Okay. And, and, I, and I want to transition on that because because you do actually have a specific project where as part of, I, I believe, the SailGP Collabo, you're, there's actually fan engagement in part of helping to run or support or make decisions on behalf of the team. Is that right? Yeah, correct. Well, yes. So SailGP um, is, is one of the partnerships that, uh, that we have. And so SailGP uh, is actually reinventing racing uh, and but doing that on water with boats that are absolutely phenomenal. Uh, and it's racing with high-speed boats that use only wind, so therefore it's also sustainable, which is a core thing at the heart of that competition. Uh, and we've been partnering with CellGP on several different fronts, but one of which is actually, imagine if a DAO owns a team. And so that has been announced a couple of weeks ago, but there is a launch of a, of a DAO that's fully going to own for the first time in sports history uh, a, a fully professional team. And so what CellGP has done is actually opening up to say, yes, the next team we're actually putting on the market, we're okay for that to be owned by a DAO. That's a big deal. And, and it was, it's not by no means a small, uh, a small thing to do because, you know, structuring a DAO, like thinking through, okay, what are the legal regulations to do that? And how do you actually think through that? And, and then like a DAO is a collective of people who vote together on where they want to steer the team. Okay. So 
how do you structure within a DAO? Like, do you have like, you know, completely flat organization? You still need a, you know, a team of people who are going to do the work. And, and so how do you actually structure that? So it's raised a lot of fascinating questions. And I think it's been, uh, it's been honestly amazing to work with the team uh, on that front to sort of like, again, do a first in, in sports history to help plant a flag of like, what are the possibilities of what could happen going forward? Um, and prove again that, you know, you can have real use cases uh, that are helpful and that are actually showing that you can transform an entire an entire industry. And here it's sailing and sports in particular. I love that. And for, honestly, as, as a sports fan, but also as somebody as a fan of innovation, please do share as much about that as you possibly can with the general public, because I think that's an incredibly powerful case. I, I know that every armchair fan wants to be able to pick the team on a Saturday or on a Sunday. Um, and I, I don't know exactly how real time or you know, what sort of latency you have on the decision making, whether it's, you know, sail to port, sail to starboard in the actual races or whether it's beforehand. But but genuinely the potential for engagement there, I think, you know, with an actual sports team in a licensed and supported uh, championship, that is huge. Genuinely, that's massive. For, for, that's massive for DAO, that's massive for blockchain, that's massive for sports. So, so please let the rest Thank of the world you. know as much <laughs> as you can about that, because I, I genuinely believe it's, it's groundbreaking. And, and, it's, and it sets a very meaningful example that other people can relate to. And on the subject of things that people can relate to, before we go to the Q&A, I wondered if you could take a pause, reflecting on your you know, near first year at NIR, uh, that sounded weird, but your, your, your almost anniversary at, at NIR Foundation, obviously a part of a much, much broader career in finance and Web3. What advice would you give to anybody who's coming into the space at this time, whether that be an enterprise, whether that be somebody coming in to start their career or somebody looking to transition from Web2 into Web3, what do you what what would you give as guidance of people coming in at this particular moment? Yeah, um, so starting with a pause. <laughs> um, so the first thing is actually, it's a great it's a great time to build. And I know it's a sentence that's almost overused, but the reality is, in bear market when there is no noise, forget about you know the hype and the the FOMO of of almost like oh my god, am I missing on something? In a bear market, it's back to basics. It's back to being actually, you know, a bit boring, but it's back to actually building. And so I think it's a very good time, one, probably to have access to some of the best talent that's going to be out there. Because the reality is the macroeconomic context and what we're seeing in terms of broader layoff in, in, uh, you know, in Web2 and more generally in tech means that there's going to be an influx of, of phenomenal talent that's going to be also on the market. The second one I would say is that actually the blockchain technology and, and, and uh, technology in general in Web3 has made a ton of progress. And so when I look at that, it's not, you know, a couple of years ago, the technology was not in the same place. Today, as we've been talking about here, right, you can build, you can build real stuff. This is, that's it. This is now mainstream, right? You can have millions of uh, users and you can have real applications that are seamless and actually that don't mean you need the, to have a full lexicon of jargon to know what you have to do. So th that is now available and, and exists. Um, the advice I would, I would actually give is thinking through, well, what's actually the best technology to build on? And I'm going to preach for, a, for you know, my own church here, but having technology that is infinitely able to scale, that actually doesn't hurt the environment that's been thought through. And that's one of the things that we've been thinking through at NIR since the start of how to be actually sustainable. Having technology that 
if it continues to evolve, it evolves and it doesn't disrupt any of the things that you've built on top of it. I think those things are extremely important. So continue making sure that you build where there's been proof, proof points. I think that's really important. And the other thing would be having, you know, patience, but also going back always to basics, right? Building on Web3 is not just because it's cool. It's because it can do something very fundamentally different. Um, it's because you can flip on its head some of the paradox, right? You can, you can truly give back ownership to the creators of what they have created forever in, in their journey. You can truly flip on its head what it means to be a fan of a sports team or what it means to actually be the IP owner of something. So I think building, solving real problems, uh, being patient, being and doing that on technology that is proven and that can scale, um, hint, hint, near. <laughs> um, those are probably some, <laughs> some, some very good, uh, some very good advice. And I think it's it's usually in in times like that that we will see. And I don't know how long it's going to take. But I don't know if the bear market we're in is like you know, uh, one year, two years, five years, ten years. Don't know. But it is in in this moment that the next future you know big players that are going to shape the world of tomorrow and the world for our kids are being built. And so it's the right time to do that and to focus on, on those basics and those fundamentals uh, to be able to deliver that. Really great guidance. And we'll forgive you for the shameless plug because you wouldn't be doing your job if you didn't. But I think also I, I kind of noted, noticing what you said, building in a market where there's uncertainty or building in a market where there are lower market capitalizations doesn't prohibit access to capital, doesn't prohibit access to talent. In fact, it accelerates in some cases access to talent. It doesn't prohibit good ideas from being funded. It doesn't prohibit good ideas from being tested and validated in market. And so, you know, yes, maybe you'll get access to a little bit more, get a bit more of a boost when everyone's feeling good. But at the same time, if you have a transformative idea that can make use of novel technology, there's you know there's no better time to get started and don't don't consider that you know you will fail just because the market conditions outside are a bit wonky would, would be my take um so thank you very much for that we've got a few questions quite a lot of questions so i'm going to do my best to multitask and filter this is not my strength but i'm going to try um i'm going to try and kind of filter through some of these and so if you see my eyes disappearing off to the side of the screen it's only because i'm trying to process through hundreds and hundreds of comments here thank you everybody for making my life hard and adding all of these questions and comments <laughs> in the chat please do add any more we might just be able to get through all of these if we can be quick but let's start with a nice and easy one this is a great question from zara here how would you define mass adoption now she said you know what percentage of the population would need to be part of the movement maybe we don't think of it in terms of percentages but at near for yourselves how, how do you define the target of mass adoption yeah fantastic question so instead of mass adoption i prefer mainstream adoption and the click for me is when we don't have to explain anymore what is blockchain because today a lot of time is like and a layer one is this and to do this you need to do that so it's it, we will have reached that point when we are it's seamless. You actually are using something as Web3, but you don't know, right? And then, and it's really doing something differently, right? So I think that's when we reach that. And then in terms of, you know, millions of users, some could say, because if you look today at the total number of crypto wallets in the world, you could say, okay, we're ready at something mainstream. I don't know. So rather than percentage, I would more look at usability and the fact that we don't have to explain. And, you know, my mom picks up something and she's like, oh, I didn't know this was on blockchain. Great. That's it. Love that. We, we, we reach mass adoption when we, when we don't use the word blockchain anymore or when, we're, when we're not talking about it. When the infrastructure it becomes the infrastructure and we're talking about great applications. 
Um, and you've, you've, you've highlighted a few of them over the course of today's session, which is great. Here's a good one from Tommaso, uh, if I'm pronouncing that anywhere near correctly. What do you see in terms of the state of Web3 adoption comparing and contrasting Europe and the United States? Great question. So in Europe, um, and I think my statement is going to be pretty more general to what we see in tech in general, right? Um, by definition, we are a much more fragmented continent. Um, and so what it means is that different languages, different cultures, and therefore like different rate of adoption of things. I think as, a, as European entrepreneurs, we also tend to be um, less, less hypey, less flamboyant, and much more focused on actually building uh, and therefore might get like less traction in terms of, of what's being uh, what's being deployed. So I would say from, from that end and that perspective, in terms of adoption, we're probably a bit behind. However, uh, one thing for sure is in terms of uh, overall regulation and openness, I think Europe has been probably a bit more opened actually in what is possible and what are some of the use cases. Um, but yeah, but good question. I don't have actually any stats top of my head. But yeah, I would say the parting we see are pretty similar Web 2 to what we see uh, in, in Web 3 um, on that front. Nice. In the absence of stats, I might ask them for a small double click because I think regulation is a, is a word that is consistently used as what we need to do better at or what, it, what will unlock the floodgates of, of, of Web3 wide-scale adoption. When you give examples in terms of what Europe's doing well or what are some examples of what's helpful, you know, what are some of the things that you see that we're doing well or where regulation is helping Web3 adoption at this point? I think the you know, thorough, dedicated, methodical approach, I would say, that's been happening across Europe, I think is quite helpful. Some might say, you know, for example, if you look at Mika, maybe, you know, not everything in Mika is what everybody wants. However, you know, there is a framework and, and that's, uh, that's moving forward. I think that's definitely something I would, I would highlight. It's also very um, de-emotionalized, if that makes sense. I think one thing we can make more progress on is, um, in particular, it was true in the first half of 2022, but it felt every time there was a big regulatory movement in Europe about to happen, it was always on a on a Friday evening for about going on a Monday, I was like, oh my God, can we just like <laughs> take pause, hit and, and have a chat uh, a bit before? So, you know, I, I think it's um, this thorough approach continuing is going to be extremely important going forward. Um, and just one thing on regulation, it's a bit linked, but leveraging the transparency that blockchain enable is actually a superpower for regulation. And so I think we need to think also beyond the existing framework, not like trying to, you know, square, you know, what, what blockchain does into existing framework, but more, what is it that the technology can help do even better and provide, for example, more transparency, um, you know, imagine having access to, you know, proof of reserve, like on an immediate response, not like an audit that you need to wait a year, because right now I look at a company's audit of like a year ago, I'm like, I don't even care because like a year is like 10 years, right? So like I can look at it, but what does it really tell me, right? Um, yeah, so that, that would be some hint on, on that question. Really nice. And I, know, I realize it's a complex question. It's not exactly, you can't just kind of give a throwaway answer to those ones. So thank, thank you for bearing with me. Um, I think also that you pointed towards actually the kind of the B2B side of regulation um, and transparency proof, proof of funds is super, super, super important. I think we've got a real tension on the privacy perspective. You know, Web3 coming up as promoting self-custody promoting anonymity or pseudonymity and then seeing the contrast of kind of kyc in web 2 fintech retail with the ability to have anonymity while also having transparency in web 3 
the second you dox somebody in Web3 with a KYC, the second you have access to everything in their wallet that happens over here. And so you understandably, you've got a real tension between the retail side of it. But on a B2B side, I think there's, there's a huge amount of potential to protect and encourage innovation. So I'm positive that we're seeing enough movement in the right direction, but we've still got some, some crunchy stuff to solve. Here's a good one and specifically kind of fit, fits in the kind of the ethos of near being easy to use. What are the best ways to make Web3 more seamless for the average Web2 user who doesn't care about Web3? So the mother or the grandmother or, you know, what are some of the things that you and the team are focusing on to make Web3 easier? Yeah, so there's actually two, two parts to that. One is um, for the end user, what does it look like to log in? Right? And so, for example, imagine today if you use a browser and you log in with Google, then actually that gives you access to a lot of things. So imagine actually transcripting that into Web3 and instead of a, a Google login, it becomes like, you know, a wallet login. And actually that wallet is maybe pre-funded. And so you don't see some of the transactions. Here's another thing that actually helps make it usable. Rather than having to, you know, click for every transaction to happen, then actually it's seamless and you don't see that. And, and one way to think about that is, for example, you know, back in the days when we used to send SMS, it was paper SMS. And then it changed and then it became a subscription. And actually with that subscription, you can do a certain amount of things. It doesn't mean it's free. It just means like you have now access to a bundle of those things. So thinking through like login and thinking through like bundle subscription type model are definitely things that help on, on usability. The other part of usability is actually usability for developers. And that's actually really important because we're still early on and there's still a lot of building. What does usability for developer mean? It means one, well, what's the language on which you can code? And the reality is today, for example, most, uh, most Web3 development is still done in Solidity and in Rust. But those languages are like just there is 100,000 or 200,000 developers in the world who actually know how to code in Rust and Solidity. So the, the pool of people who can actually help build is too small. So for example, at NIR, we have JavaScript uh, enabled for JavaScript developer to be able to develop. And, and so that already opens up also usability and therefore like the ability to build. Um, so yeah, so I would say to get that mainstream adoption for usability, this like login subscription model and then simplicity for developers to actually be able to code fast and have all the tools and, and be able to code in the languages that are most known are probably some of the, of the things that are the best way to actually get seamless uh, usage. I love that. I love particularly the last part, I think it's often overlooked that all of the existing engineers that are developing software and all of the rest of Web2 don't often program in Rust or very rarely, if ever, program in Solidity. And so the easier we can make it for the existing software engineering engine of the world to start adopting, integrating, composing with the technology that we're building, the better, because that's, that's going to make the rest of it move faster. So dev tooling, low code, no code solutions, languages that people know how to code in, really, really big, really, really important point. So, so thank you for highlighting that one. The next question, a question about the metaverse, if we may. Um, again, super, super early domain. I posted out the other day, you know, the metaverse is probably only two years old in terms of genuine concerted, consolidated effort towards making this a domain of interest. I mean, if you want to go all the way back to Snow Crash 
as the equivalent of the Satoshi white paper for the metaverse, you know, the idea of, the, of it's been around forever. The idea of avatars and virtual reality has been around since the 80s. But if we look at the current incarnation of the metaverse, what's your definition or what do you see as the importance of metaverse in and around what you're building? Yeah, I love that question. Thanks for asking, Todd. So, you know, the skeptic in me would say, haven't we rebranded <laughs> again? <laughs> You know, the industry, because, uh, you know, it started, there was Bitcoin, then, okay, that's not the word, then use blockchain, then, okay, crypto, then actually now use, you know, Web3, and now, oh, metaverse, right? So there is also a trend of, like, wh what's, the, what's the word that does what we describe in a way? Um, but that's a skeptic in me that would say maybe, maybe there's a bit of that. The, the second part, and I love that because once um, someone asked me, how do I enter the metaverse? I was like, Oh, yeah, great question. How do you answer? Is this the metaverse? You know, are we in the metaverse? Um, and, and so I think to, to me, and maybe it's too simplistic, but and I'd love, by the way, to have also your view on, on how you define it. But to me, it's more the fact that increasingly our lives are becoming digitized. And therefore, with that, the assets that we carry with us in that in the digital world. And so if you think of living lives that are more and more digitized what does it mean to actually have our identity our assets and the values that we hold and that we create within that space and therefore because it's it's online and digital then then that's the metaverse so that's how i think about it i'm not sure if it's a good definition or not um but yeah what's your definition of it i think it's a great definition and, and frankly we, do, we don't have a strong one because i think a lot of people still make the misconception that the metaverse has to include virtual reality or that to be in the metaverse, we have to strap in through VR goggles, which I, I think immediately creates bias. And one of my one of my pet peeves in general around technology and innovation is around when when people bring bias to the conversation. I think there's a strong overlap between principles where the metaverse is aiming versus where Web three is aiming at the same time. So we talk we talk about experiences that are persistent, digital, where the like you said, the individual is self sovereign, or that their data, what they create is owned and managed by them. It cannot be censored. It cannot be taken down. So immediately parallels with Web3. I think co-creation is a big part of it as well. So, so where actually multiple parties can come together to solve problems, work together, play together, whatever the human need is, it is immersive, it is co-creative, it is multi-party. Those are some of the guiding principles that I like to use. I don't think it has to involve crypto necessarily, but you can see benefits of tokenization for shared incentives, right? You can see the benefit of decentralized governance or the use of on-chain digital governance in a metaverse context. Um, I think most people also assume that it's always B2C or that it's brand selling stuff to individuals. I see a lot of the use cases for the metaverse being B2B. For example, we already today have immersive environments, in this case with virtual reality, where you have designers co-creating vehicles, furniture, et cetera, because they're working remotely halfway around the world, they need a platform to come together. It's involving virtual reality because it's a 3D space where they have to interact and shape and so on. Um, and that's being done today by car companies, largely driven by the pandemic and the, the requirement to work remotely instead of people coming together. But then actually, if you can then crowdsource people, content, engagement, and so on, and you can attribute contribution and then fairly value that contribution again you're starting to overlap a little bit of web 2 and web 3 in an immersive space and that to me starts to feel like metaverse the other question i like to ask is are you creating a video game right so if if this is basically the same as minecraft 
you are not creating a metaverse platform, mm -hmm. right? You, are, you have a centralized server, you've created a computer program where multiple people can come in together and follow the rules of the computer program, or you're on a WebEx, right? As I don't think we're in the metaverse now, um, but, <laughs> Maybe but it's, you know. There's V1, there's V0, V1. I love your definition, by the way, co-creation, you know, and, and fair attribution of who's done what. That's very powerful uh, as a framework, yeah. This is a good one here from Michael. Michael asks, is Nier involved in any decentralized identity projects? So there's a really strong community out there for decentralized identity. Michael's obviously one of, the, one of the proponents of that. What's your view on DID? Is that something that you've seen a lot of in the Nier, Nier community at the moment? Anything that you can highlight at this time? Yeah, well, look, I would actually highlight um, something that at this stage is more proof of concept, but it is really interesting. It's called Nier.social. And um, on near.social, which at the moment is mostly a platform for developers to have different widgets and start co-creating things, uh, there is a very uh, core element of that, which is around actually identity. And therefore, it, it looks into decentralized identity and, and what that would mean. So I would say that's probably one of the things that comes to mind. And then the other part of that that comes to mind is more, you know, in most... Uh, in most crypto ecosystem today, the entry point still remains the wallet, right? And so what's the link between a wallet and an identity, right? I think that that is still like the link that uh, that needs to be made or not, and therefore how to how to actually uh, think that through. Yeah. I've got a question here from an anonymous user, or at least it appears anonymous to me. It might be one of your team asking this, but if it, if it is a plant, it's still a good question to ask. Um, if, if there was a team deciding to build a product on Nier, what would be the kind of benefits um, that you specifically would describe around Nier that others can't provide? I promise this is not a plug. We did not screen this <laughs> well, one. This thank is not you for that. <laughs> <laughs> thank you for that. Thank you for that great question. So I would say a um, couple of things. So one, actually, uh, the technology uh, for Nier. So seamless, scalable, uh, and very robust. That's what's been uh, you know, proven over and over. So if you come to Nier, definitely you can be sure that you're sitting and standing on very strong technology. The second part, and actually I think it matters a lot, um, in particular in the, in, the, in the environment that we're in right now, is that we've been very cautious also on how we think through actually uh, funding and treasury allocation, and therefore when we think for near, we think very long term, right? And and the, the treasury that is available for the near ecosystem uh, is very large, uh, and it's uh, we've we've raised you know over half a billion between uh, January and April of this year, and we've been conservative in how we think through that and and how we actually have and held that in uh, in fiat and and in traditional banking system. So I think those are things that matter because, um, as you know, the bear market continues being bearish. Um, unfortunately, we're probably going to see a lot of projects going under and therefore being uh, conscious on resources and thinking through long term for the entire ecosystem is really important. And then the third thing I would say is just the depths of bench that we have uh, in terms of talent in the ecosystem. And that I would actually classify in two things. One is um, it's an extremely diverse and inclusive uh, ecosystem. And it's an ecosystem that is extremely, you know, multi-geography that pans out from anything across uh, Asia, Korea, to, you know, Southeast Asia, to actually uh, Africa, to Latin America, Eastern Europe, Europe in general, and of course the US. So it's a very multilingual, therefore, 
um, you know, not, not just prone on English speaking. Uh, and I think that actually matters a lot because it means that going forward, you have a lot of different brains uh, thinking and actually coming up with their cultural background uh, that matters a lot. And then the other part, of course, is um, the depth and bench of the near ecosystem. And I was just on a call earlier with, um, with a venture capital uh, fund who is interested in investing more in the near ecosystem. And, and the feedback was, well, the depth of teams and the depth of quality of builders on near is phenomenal because actually there is a lot of very deep technology ability across our entire ecosystem and all the projects. And so I think that's to build the next generation is really important. Um, and so, yes, yeah, so my TLDR, because it's a, it's a bit long, but the tech is amazing. We have the funding and we have phenomenal talents across the ecosystem. There we go. Thank you so much. I, I, probably a good place to wrap up. We've reached actually the end of time. There were still about a bunch of questions that we could have continued on, but thank you so much for everybody who's joined. Thank you for everybody who's coming to the chat. And most especially, Marie, thank you so much to you for giving us an insight into the world of a Layer One Foundation CEO for being very honest and very open with your insights and what you've shared with us today. Wishing you every success, hopefully some good rest over the holiday season. And thank you very yeah. much again for joining the show. Well, thank you so much, Anthony, for having me. And thank you all for all your questions and for tuning in. And yes, um, I, wish, I wish everybody a very peaceful end of 2022 and hopefully a very good 2023 when we get there. Amazing. Thank you so much, Marie. See you soon. Thank you. Bye. Thanks again for listening to the Blockchain Won't Save the World podcast. As always, opinions in this episode are mine and those of my guests alone. If you want to find out more, please feel free to connect with me on LinkedIn. Check out some of the other episodes on the Blockchain Won't Save the World podcast and check out the YouTube channel also called Blockchain Won't Save the World. Stay safe out there.